Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. So we are, we're going to continue in chapter 18 today. We've got two more weekends, two more lessons today and next Sunday to talk about Babylon. And so this week we're going to go through the first 19 verses of chapter 18. And then next week we're going to take the final five verses of the chapter but look at it in light of what is going on in the, in the world today. How do these chapters about Babylon from Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 15 and 51, Revelation 17 and 18, how does it relate to modern events really going on in the Middle East today? And so it'll be really interesting just to look at that in light of God's word against current events. But today we're going to take the doom of Babylon and so we're actually, Austin, if you could start on slide five, it'd be six on your one more. So we've got the doom of Babylon. So last week, we talked about this false religious system, Mystery Babylon, the harlot, that was the root of all pagan idolatry all the way back from Nimrod in Genesis, and how that system started and has infiltrated the world today. And it migrated through Pergamus and eventually settled in Rome where it's been for thousands of years now. Well, it's going to migrate back to the plain of Shinar at some point. We're going to look at that as the last slide today, those verses from Zechariah. But this judgment on Babylon, it's unfolding. And it started last time in chapter 17. The four chapters I mentioned that we're going to look at next week, Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 15 and 51, and then Revelation 17 and 18. We're going to take some snippets out of those six chapters and lay them against modern headlines. So it'll be really interesting. But it's where every occultic practice is rooted after the flood, everything. We talked about it in a lot of detail last week. Nimrod was the dictator who began to profane the name of the Lord, and his name in Hebrew and Marad literally means we will rebel. And it's the place where every occultic practice you see today, especially this month in particular, where bell worship is at its highest, I feel like. It's just crazy when you drive around neighborhoods and you see what people put openly in their front yard that are professing Christians. I just never, I will never understand it. But it's where it all began in Babylon. That's where it all began. And so this is why the Lord is unfolding this judgment on, on that city in this chapter, starting in chapter 18. So the judgment on Babylon's unfolding... And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if what the kings of the earth during the tribulation are going to see during this time. So in chapter 17, the Lord unveiled the mystery of Babylon. Remember, she was the mother of harlots. She had the name written on her forehead. And it migrated, if you remember from Revelation, when we went through the seven letters to the seven churches, it migrates, the system migrates through Pergamos, where the church marries the world. And the world is not a place, obviously, that you want to be married to. Uh, Jesus did not pray for the world in his prayer, if you remember. He prayed for those that are his in the world, but not the world. The world is, is judged all through Revelation with the earth dwellers. Remember, we've talked a lot about that phrase, these people that are rooted in the world that choose not to worship the Lamb. So the system... It'll eventually make its way back to the plain of Shinar. And, and like I mentioned, we're going to look at that as the last verses today. But we literally will have the opportunity to watch modern-day headlines and see God's word unfold before our very eyes, which is fascinating. There aren't many generations alive in the church age that can say they get to look at prophecy in the Bible and literally watch it in the modern-day headlines unfold day after day. So it's really, we have an esteemed privilege. And if you're not sensitive to that about all these prophecies in the Old Testament that are yet to be fulfilled, we get the, the privilege, literally, to sit on the front row and watch God's word unfold 
in our lives and in globally. It's just incredible. So after these things, this is how it starts out in 18 verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and become the habitation of devils or demons, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So it's really important when something is doubled in God's word. He really means something specific when it's doubled. He's trying to get your attention. And that's why in verse 2 we see Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And that concept goes all the way back to Genesis 41, again, when Joseph was interpreting Pharaoh's dream. And for that, the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So very quickly, it's, it's not going to be drug out for very much longer. He's going to bring it to pass quickly. That's what the doubling means. Now, birds are often portrayed by the Holy Spirit as evil ministers of Satan. And look at the end of verse 2. It's going to become the habitation of demons and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. I don't know about you guys, but I don't really walk around with birds hating on me very much, you know, flying around. I mean, they're now granted, I will, I'll take that back for a second. We had a scissor tail nest in our front yard that the the mom kept trying to attack us when we'd walk by because she had some babies, but that was it. That's the only other time. But this is clearly in God's word. He's not talking about literal birds. It's the cage of every unclean bird. So when you go back to Matthew 13, there's seven kingdom parables that The, uh, the unclean and hateful birds are trying to cancel the service today also. So in Matthew 13, Jesus talking, he's, he speaks of, boy, this mic's hot. Wow, it's loud. So he's, he's speaking of the, remember the parable of the sower with the four soils and the, and the guys spreading the word of God. Well, the ministers of Satan, the birds come to eat what was sown, if you remember that. And he's speaking about the demons, the, the unclean, foul spirits of the dark side taking what little bit of God's word and faith has been sown. And then later on in, in the parables, he lines out the mustard tree. Remember, well, a mustard plant, it really is only you know, a little higher than this mum. It's, it's not supposed to grow into a gigantic tree. But Jesus says, speaking of the church, It'll become like a mustard tree that's gotten so big, birds lodge in its branches. And he's speaking of the ministers of Satan getting infiltrated into the church because the church becomes this gigantic machine that really waters down the message of the word of God and allows the enemy to get a foothold in. See, that wouldn't be possible if everybody just stuck to the word of God. It wouldn't be possible for the enemy to get a foothold in because that is our offensive weapon, is the word of God. And so it, it would completely wipe them out, and the church would be emboldened and powerful and strengthened. But that's what he's talking about. And when we were back in Revelation 2 and 3, we lined up those seven kingdom parables against the seven letters in Revelation to the churches that Jesus pins. And when you go one by one, they line up perfectly. And and so use that, that idiom of the birds as all through the Bible of those being evil workers and ministers of Satan. And it's going to be important at the very end of this message also in Zechariah 5 why that is. But after Babylon falls, it apparently is going to become the prison or cage of every unclean evil spirit. So just think about that. There's a place that God abhors so much, he's going to enchain every enemy of his in that place, which is really interesting. So verse 3, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And if you remember last week, this just echoes so much out of chapter 17, where the kings of the earth had really turned all of their worship and their giving and, and their praise to this false system, 
praising this false religious system that has made them rich and wealthy beyond their dreams. So this false religious system, Mystery Babylon, it's caused the entire earth to forsake the Messiah and look elsewhere to direct their worship. And he is a jealous God. So you have kings of the earth and merchants of the earth and these people giving their worship to this system God is so jealous for their hearts. He longs for them, and he longs for you and I the same, to give all of our worship to him, to not set up an idol in our life and pick anything you want, sports, career, money, where you live, anything, some status symbol, maybe it's even a spouse. He does not want you to idolize any of that, but instead to turn your heart's complete desire to him. So in Revelation verse 18, verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So there's always this prerequisite from the Lord before his judgment unfolds, and that is to remove his people, the ones that are really committed to him, the ones that are Holy Spirit-filled, the believers walking around that are committed to the Lord. And you see this all throughout the Bible. He removed Enoch before the flood. And meanwhile, he preserved Noah and his family through the judgment. And in that one single event in the flood of Noah, you have the same three groups of people that are in the tribulation for this seven-year period. You have those removed prior to the judgment, which is the church, us, in this model. You have those preserved through the judgment, Noah and his family, which represents Israel and the Jewish remnant that are not given over to the beast, to the Antichrist, and you have those that perish in the judgment, the earth dwellers, as we've heard over and over and over throughout Revelation. So the same three groups of people. In Genesis 19, verses 24 through, 30, through 26, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So this is an important concept. Remember the angels go to Lot and his wife, and they tell them, we have to remove you before this judgment can unfold. So it was a prerequisite. God could not judge it until his people were taken out of it. And one of the things that Jesus says in Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So think about this concept. When you are taken out of a pagan, idolatrous system, you are taken out of the world, and you are to serve the, the Lord, the Most High, in his kingdom, putting your hand to the plow as a worker and looking straight ahead and marching toward Jesus, you are not to look back at the world and lust and covet after what you've been delivered from. And that's a, such an important concept because Lot's wife looked back, and she wasn't supposed to. And as a result, her walk stopped because she became a pillar of salt. She was no longer able to walk for the Lord. She became a pillar sitting there, stagnant forever, because she was her heart truly was still tied to that earthly system that she was delivered out of. And the same goes for us today. That's why Jesus says this in Luke 9, that we have been delivered out of the world. You are to be a sojourner and a pilgrim through this earth, not rooted in it. You're, and we're going to talk about next, well, two weeks in Revelation 19 and on, what is waiting for you on the other side? It's something that is so magnificent and glorious that Anything that you could achieve in this world is absolutely, it doesn't even compare to what you're going to walk into for all eternity with the Lord, with Jesus. And so you need to look forward and not put your hand on the plow and look back and serve the God, the, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul from Deuteronomy. So in Revelation 18, 5, for her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. So her sins have reached up there. So Babylon again, her sins have reached up to heaven. So that's this volumetric kind of measurement again that we talked about a few weeks ago and from Genesis 15, 16, God speaking to Abraham. 
But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And God was working a miraculous thing while his children were in Egypt. He was working to deliver them out of Egypt, but at the same time, giving the Amorites space and time to repent, but they would not. And so God had to bring his people out of Egypt and was a mechanism of saving them and simultaneously judging the Amorites because their sin had become full. It's that, it's that volumetric concept throughout the Bible of the Lord waiting for it to be time to step off his throne for the judgment. And it's giving people time and space to repent. So in verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you and double unto her double according to her works in the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. And so the Lord is really bringing a concept out from Exodus 22 here that what has Mystery Babylon done? Remember from last week in chapter 17, she is responsible for the blood and the martyrdom of all the saints in Jesus since the ascension. So since the church was formed, this false system is responsible for every martyr on earth for the last 2,000, almost 2,000 years. Think about that. So what has she stolen? She has stolen and turned the hearts and stolen the bride of Christ from the creator himself. And because of that, she's going to get double unto her, double according to her works. And in Exodus 22, 4, if the theft be certainly found, and certainly it is in her, in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. So a thief was to restore double. And I love how, the, how Jesus is turning this upside down where the one that committed the thievery, the punishment, she can't restore it. See, she, there's no way she can restore the last 2,000 years of the church. But the Lord can restore her double for what she's taken. And that's that concept from Exodus 22. So Isaiah 40, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. See, Jerusalem was supposed to be a peculiar city for God forever. These, these peculiar Israelites were to serve God in a mighty way, and they didn't. And so there, again, they stole that from the Lord, that testimony on the earth, which is what leads to him creating the church, number one. But he's also judging that city double. Now, he did not forsake Jerusalem. He's never forsaken Israel and Jerusalem. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't, as a righteous dad and righteous father, need to shape his children and chasten them. Now, it's an interesting concept because in Jeremiah 16, the next verse down, And first I will recompense their iniquity and, and their sin double, because they have defiled my land. They have filled mine inheritance with the carcasses of their detest, detestable and abominable things. See, there's that concept again. Because Jerusalem allowed this to fester, their sins were restored double to them. Now, Mystery Babylon is going to think that because God judged Israel and judged Jerusalem, that he has forsaken them. And that's not the case we're going to see in just a minute. So in verse 7, how much she hath glorified her and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, listen to how Mystery Babylon boasts right here. I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Well, she's, she's going to see a lot of sorrow. <laughs> she's going to see an immense amount of sorrow. But listen to the pride built up behind this power that has martyred every person that believes in Jesus for the last 2,000 years. That you, Listen to the boast. She sits a queen and is no widow because she thinks Jerusalem is a widow and has been divorced by God, and it hasn't. So she's trying to compare herself to Jerusalem in this pride of being built up in the world system. So Lamentations chapter 1, the first two verses of the whole book, how doth the city sit solitarily, in solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow? See, this is where she gets this idea about Jerusalem. She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary 
In other words, she thinks she's become a sacrifice to God, that Jerusalem has been sacrificed, and that's not the case at all. She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her, and all her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies, but she's not been cast off by the Lord. See, Mystery Babylon forgot to keep reading God's word. In Isaiah 50, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Whom have I put away? This is God asking Jerusalem and Israel a sarcastic question. In other words, why do you think I've divorced you? You know, where is the bill of your divorcement? The Lord has not forsaken Israel, and he will not forget about Jerusalem, despite what the world would have you believe. Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. In other words, God has put away Jerusalem for a season. For a season. And we know from Romans 11.25, that season is when the church is full. And then he once again goes and fights for her through that judgment. But Babylon, the mother of harlots, is boasting that she is no widow because she believes God has cast off his people. So she's really taunting not only the Lord but the children of Israel and Jerusalem specifically. So there's, there's two women in the book of Revelation that are important to understand and to rightly divide the word of truth. You have the woman Israel from chapter 12. We studied that a few months ago where chapter 12 was this overview of the entire Bible in that one chapter. And then you have Mystery Babylon, the harlot, the mother of all harlots and idolatry on the earth from chapter 17 and 18. Well, Israel's located in heaven from Revelation 12, verse 1. Mystery Babylon's located upon many waters. In other words, reigning over the Gentiles, rooted on the earth. Israel is clothed with the sun. There's a total pun there because the, the son of God, the son, S-O-N, not necessarily S-U-N, but she is clothed with the sun. Mystery Babylon's clothed, as we saw last week, in purple, scarlet, gold, precious jewels, and pearls. So she's living richly of the world. Israel's the mother of the man-child. That's none other than Jesus himself from chapter 12. Uh, Mystery Babylon is the mother of all harlots. They're identified with, Israel's identified with the sun, the moon, and the 12 stars. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. We talked about that. And there's really 13 tribes because Joseph or Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So don't let that confuse you. Mystery Babylon's identified with the kings of the earth, and so she has a different identity. She's rooted in the world. Israel sustained by the Lord. Mystery Babylon is sustained by the dragon or Satan himself. The headdress, remember, Israel has a crown of 12 stars on her head. The dragon has given Mystery Babylon the Great a headdress that says in all caps, Mystery Babylon the Great. Israel is, is hated by the world. Babylon, the world, we'll see next time and, and kind of at the end of this chapter of these verses of today, that the world's going to mourn for her when she's destroyed. So here's Jerusalem, totally hated by the world, despised by the world. In Mystery Babylon, they're going to weep. The world's going to weep for her. That's how, it, how much the world loves her. The marital status, Israel is widowed by her choice, and Mystery Babylon is boasting, I am no widow, married to the world. The Lord's purpose, Israel is to bless the entire world, the entire earth. If you ever just do a search for how many blessings have come out of the nation of Israel to the world, you'll be blown away. The technology, the medicine, they are the world's largest fruit exporter to the entire continent of Europe. And it's this little, little tiny land that's a tenth the size of the state of Oklahoma. You know, how is that possible? But God, that's how it's possible. And before Israel was formed as a nation in May 14th of 1948, it was barren. There wasn't, it was not a fruitful land. It was dark. It was dreary. It was dry. They couldn't grow things there. Farmers couldn't, could not grow acres of crops there. And as soon as it became a nation, the Lord made it this fruitful, bountiful place. And you could even look on Google, look at the, on the map, and just look at Israel in the satellite view compared to Saudi Arabia compared to Iraq, compared to Iran, and tell me that the Lord does not have a special hand over that plot of land. He does. 
in the ultimate use. Israel is going to be the eternal seed of Jesus, and Babylon is, is the eternal doom of everything that the world loves and, and the habitation of foul spirits. So in verse 8, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. You do not want to be on the end of that statement at all, because our God is a righteous, strong judge. But in Psalm 7, chapter 7, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordained his arrows against the persecutors. So ordained his arrows. This will be interesting in Jeremiah next week when we look at this. The Bible has a lot of technology statements in it. Uh, For example, one of them that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Well, that'll happen inside the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, inside the Holy of Holies. Well, 2,000 years ago, you would have never been able to see that event. But now the entire world's going to see that event in the palm of their hand. It'll be a major political event broadcast to the world when it happens. And praise God we won't be here. But he's setting a statement. It's almost like a technology statement. When you shall see it. Well, how could you see it back then? You couldn't have. But we can today. So same thing we're going to see next week in Jeremiah that talks about smart weapons in that book. But that's exactly what Psalm 7 is declaring. So in verse 9, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and live deliciously with her shall bewell her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. See, the whole world is going to weep over the destruction of this city. So here's where you're starting to get the hint that this is a judgment on a literal physical place on earth, because the kings are going to start wailing over her. They're going to have to stand afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. So it's a city. See, we, we switched from last week in chapter 17 as this false system, this religious system that you can't really, you could see the fruit of it and you could see it, how it's acting in the world, but it's not a, a physical place that you and I could go visit necessarily. But now the judgment is turning to that physical location, the city, Babylon. It'll be a place where the entire world trades and lives deliciously with her during the tribulation through the beast system. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 3, for when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travel upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And that's exactly what you see in these couple of verses here, verses 8, 9, and 10. In one day, this city is going to be destroyed by God, exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. In one day, in one hour, it'll be totally wiped out. In verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. In other words, they can't trade anymore during the tribulation because the system that they were using to trade through and to barter through has been wiped out. So you have people that are trading and exporting, importing goods all over the world, whatever they're doing, whatever they're trading in. And we're going to see a lot of items here in the next two verses. But they're trading in something, and all of a sudden the source of their wealth and where they had rooted themselves is totally wiped off the map, completely. And so that's going to be a hard day for them. The merchandise, here they are. Here's a list of everything that Babylon, the city, is going to be trading during the tribulation. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thine wood and all manners of vessels of ivory, and all manner of vessels of most precious wood, and of brass, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense. My wife would be disappointed if we were still here at that time. And wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. So there's a very detailed list by the Holy Spirit of exactly what is being traded through this city during the tribulation. It's trading the souls of men. 
And so it's really no surprise that God is disgusted about this. It's exactly what idolatry, evil spirits, and turning away from the Lord represents. It's trading in people's eternity. It's trading in their eternity. This system is trading and exchanging temporal wealth and pleasures for the eternal salvation of men and women. That's what's happening. And if you really think about how heavy that is, it is no wonder that God is waiting until the very end of the tribulation to rain out the ultimate judgment upon this physical location. Because it is all wickedness is rooted there. Everyone that you know who has died unsaved, bought into something, an idea, an idolatry system, something that's rooted right here in Babylon. If you think about every false religion, atheism, that's rooted in Babylon. Okay, there is no God. That's exactly what the enemy would love to propagate, right? That all of this just happened by chance. In the beginning, there was nothing, and it exploded. It doesn't work that well. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly what this city and this false system are doing. They're trading in eternity. They're exchanging eternity of men and women, the souls of them. And that's why God is so disgusted at it that they have taken and stolen his bride. I, you cannot imagine the anger of the creator of the universe. Yes, it is that, don't make a mistake, it is the people's choice. They choose this system over Jesus, but this system gives them something else to choose. And that's exactly what is going on here. And the Lord is angry about it. So verse 14, and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, there it is again. It's not just the woman Babylon, but now it's the city of Babylon. So the destruction is so sudden and so complete that the kings of the earth will have to watch from afar. So what does that mean? Is it some kind of nuclear strike? Are they not able to go into this, to the area because of radiation? Is it because it's hailstones of fire from heaven just raining down like Sodom and Gomorrah, and God is just literally pummeling that part of the world just like he did with the Dead Sea? That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah right there. That's why that sea is so salty is because the Lord absolutely pummeled it back in Lot's day. So it's sudden. It's completely sudden. And, and all these ships are going to be in the ocean, which is now turned to blood, keep in mind. So they're going to be floating out there watching this unfold. And they're just going to see this destruction. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. So that's the last verse we're going to study in chapter 18 today, but a couple more things. So the same thing is true today for us. So we no, we will not be here during the tribulation, but the lessons for us out of this are innumerable. Worldly riches are always going to disappoint. They're going to disappear in one hour. So look at the, the verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. In one hour. Everything that you and I own in this world right now is going to come to naught in one hour, every single item. There is absolutely nothing that you have in this world right now that you're going to take with you, except for the lives and eternity of your family and those that you bring to Jesus. That's it. So ultimately, they are completely worthless. Everything on this earth is totally worthless in the end. It's a matter of what are you using it for to serve his kingdom, that's the only question. The Lord is going to give you, each of you, and each of you watching online, something different than the other people. 
But again, it's a matter of, do you trust me? Do you trust that what I'm entrusting you with, that if you use it to further my kingdom, I will be able to trust you with more? That's the question. And so it's the same with studying the word of God. What do you do with the truth that he entrusts you with? If he's entrusting truth to you from the word of God, what do you do with it? Do you put it under a lampshade? Do you bury it? Well, you're not going to get much more. I can absolutely promise you if that's what you do with it. But if you go out and you share and you scream from the rooftops about the majesty of God's word and the mysteries in it and how it's incomprehensible, how to study every bit of it and to understand it fully, it's inexhaustible, then he's going to trust you with more of it. And he's going to keep giving you more and keep giving you more because he's going to see that, wow, what I'm giving this individual, they're taking it to heart and they are running with it. And so don't let this be just some crazy story in the book of Revelation for a city that you and I are not going to see. All these truths remain evident for us also and that in this time, in the church age, you and I have a responsibility to not not mourn over worthless, worldly riches. That's not where our hearts to be. And if you lose something and you are like these kings and traders and shipmasters that are mourning when you lose something of this world, you need to check your heart and really see where am I. If you don't get a promotion or if you don't get uh, this house or whatever the case is, I mean, pick anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that complex. If you are mourning over it, then it's a heart issue. And you need to really check where is your heart? How dedicated are you to Jesus? In 2020, I had so many friends when everything shut down, they were mourning over movies. They were mourning over sports being gone. They were mourning over all these things. And it's a chance for you to impart some wisdom on them, right? That, hey, why are you mourning over that? You take it as a time where God is tearing down an idol in your life that you get the chance to grow closer to him. And so think about that this week, that the Lord is entrusting you in a time, a period of time in this world in which we live, that there is more wealth readily available than any other time in the history of the world. And when you really think about it, it is so easy in where we live, in the time in which we live, in the nation in which we live, in the city in which we live, where we get to come here freely without the threat of persecution, while meanwhile, our brothers and sisters in Canada are being arrested just for going to church. Pastors are being arrested. Churches are being burned down. Australia, the, the people we've been talking to down there, I didn't realize it was this draconian, but they're only allowed one hour outside per day. That's it. So do not think for a second that that can't come here and that everything that you value in, in the, where we live can be stripped in a heartbeat. And the question is going to be, where is your heart in that time? Because you're going to get the chance to prove to Jesus that you are 100% in on his kingdom. And he's going to come back soon and take us home. And I'm praying and hoping that it happens in our lifetime, the rapture. But if it doesn't, things, it's going to be very interesting to see how much the Lord lets us see the system rising up and being established before he brings us home. Now, you may be wondering, how is this pagan, idolatrous system, Mystery Babylon, going to make it back to the literal city of Babylon to receive a judgment from God. Well, it's in Zechariah chapter 5, 5 through 11. This is where. Now, get the picture. The plain of Shinar, I want you to keep this in mind, the plain of Shinar is like Oklahoma County is to Edmond. Okay, we live in Edmond, but it's Oklahoma County. It's the, it's the plain of Oklahoma County, okay? It's a larger area of land with multiple cities. But Babylon in Nimrod's day when he founded it, Babel, was on the banks of the Euphrates River south of Baghdad, about 50, 55 miles in the plain of Shinar. Okay, that's where it all started. So look at what Zechariah 5 has. And the book of Zechariah is full of these little rich enigmas in the word of God that just... The Holy Spirit just plants them there with these treasures for you to dig out from Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, and the honor of kings is to search out a matter. And all of you, if you are in Jesus and you are in the church body right now, you are a king and a priest to Jesus. So it's your honor, it's your duty to go search these things out in the word of God. So in verse 5, 
Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. Now, an ephah doesn't mean a lot to us today, but it's a volumetric measure of trade. So it's how they would trade goods and services back then in the ancient world. An ephah was, hey, I'm trading you an ephah of barley for an ephah of whatever, um, grain. I don't know. I don't even know what they traded, silk. <laughs> and I said, what is it? It's, and, and he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is their remembrance through all the earth. So keep in mind, this is something that's throughout all the earth, as we just saw in Babylon, the city being destroyed in chapter 18 in Revelation. And behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead. That's also a measurement of weight for trade in the ancient time. The ephah was a volumetric trading unit. A talent was a weight of a trading unit. And this is a woman. Okay, so there's a woman in this ephah that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. So a woman is in there. Sounds a lot like Mystery Babylon. Keep that in mind, this woman. And he said, this is wickedness. And that sounds a lot like Mystery Babylon, the woman, the mother of harlots. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of the lead upon the mouth thereof. So the vision Zechariah is getting is this woman named wickedness is cast into a volumetric measurement of trade, and the weight of trade is placed on top of her in the ephah. It's wickedness. Then lifted I up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. Now, in Jewish terms, which everything in the tribulation is Jewish, remember, it's no longer the church. It's all about Israel. This is Jewish. A stork to the Israelites is an unclean bird. So this is, a, again, remember Babylon's the cage of every unclean spirit and foul thing, every unclean bird. So this is an unclean bird, the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. In other words, in the second heaven. So remember in the Bible, you've got three heavens. You have the sky, which you see, the atmosphere, the heaven between earth and heaven, and in the third heaven where Jesus sits. So the prince of the power of the air, Satan from Ephesians, is in that he's the ruler of the prince of the power of the air, this, this second heaven. So they lift up the ephah between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, whither do these bear the ephah? In other words, Zechariah is asking, hey, where are they taking this thing? This woman named wickedness that represents world trade that's evil. Where are these unclean spirits taking her? And he said unto me, to build it an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set thereupon her own base. In other words, to return it to the foundation in Shinar that she created, her own base. It's going to return there. And so you see how this system went, started in Babylon, went through Pergamos, always followed the money, ended up in Rome, as we learned, well, it has to go back to the plain of Shinar to be ready for the judgment that we just read all about in chapter 18. For in one hour, that great city will be destroyed. Now, when you think about that, there's absolutely nothing really in modern-day Babylon, but there is. And so next week, we're going to look at a lot of things in modern headlines against these six chapters to see, is God really going to fulfill something that he spoke about thousands and thousands of years ago, and are, do you see hints of it in modern-day headlines? Because this little prophecy in Zechariah is fascinating that the woman named Wickedness is going back upon her own base in Babylon, in the plain of Shinar. So that's how it returns. So my challenge to all of you, when you get into the Word of God, it will begin to refine and burn off everything I was talking about in terms of being entrapped in the world. Everything. If you, it, even things that you don't even know you need to get rid of. If you are sitting in the book of Leviticus that has absolutely nothing to do with something that you don't even know you're struggling with in your life, I promise you the author himself is going to start refining you because you're spending time in his word. And in the day of age which we live in, we literally are almost the last place on earth that you can freely, openly study the Word of God. 
and do it without the threat of persecution and without the threat of being arrested, without the threat of being imprisoned, simply by studying and living for Jesus. And so we have an immense opportunity that the Lord is blessing us with, that we have time, we are given and granted time right now to be in his word and to help build, further build that new city, the new Jerusalem that God called us all to over a year, almost a year ago now. So build your faith. What, what is it? Growing up in church, I had never even heard the definition of faith. And I, I probably, you could ask 100 people and get 98 different answers. But what is faith? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's the substance of all that we hope for, which is Jesus Christ. He is the substance of everything you and I hope for. And again, how excited would you be if the book ended with, well, you have to live with all these Luciferian overlords and, and leaders, and Jesus is never coming back. Well, praise God, that's not how the book ends. The book ends with there's a righteous king coming to rule and reign, and you and I get the opportunity right now to serve him in an unashamed way to foster, strengthen, and grow a bride for him, right? And why is faith important? Hebrews 11:6. for without faith, it is impossible to please him. So... There's no way you can go through your life without pleasing Jesus unless you have faith. That's the only way. So how do you get it? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you have to be in the word of God to build your faith so that you can be pleasing to God. Now, don't misunderstand. The Lord is pleased and loves you whether you are in the word or not, but you are not able to be used for him because you're not spending time with him. You're not building that relationship with him. You're not refining and building up your offensive weapon to go out to battle for him in the kingdom. You know, you are in a war. You and I are in an absolute war for our minds and our souls and the souls of our children. That's what Mystery Babylon wants to trade in, the souls of us and the souls of your children. And so the only way you can defend your family and defend those that you love is with the word of God. That is our offensive weapon. And so your children... And you, in a workplace, wherever you are in your life, your children are at risk unless you're leading them and studying the Word of God with them. Your children need to grow up in a place where they understand the weapon of their warfare. You're not going to send someone to the front lines of a battle if they've never picked up a gun, right? You're not storming the beach with that person. You're storming it with people that have trained for years in advance for that moment. And the same thing is true with us in our spiritual warfare. You've got to get trained because, again, before Jesus goes to war on this earth, he's going to do what every nation does before he goes to war, bring his ambassadors home. The question is, how much have you prepared in the battle for him? You know, what have you done for him? How much have you gone out to conquer to help him build that new city so that he can bring more people home? So if you don't know the Lord, it's really simple. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. You don't have to add anything to it, and you, don't, you can't take anything from it. He completed it on the cross. He said to Telestai, it is finished. In other words, the sacrifice is complete, and you know it's complete because Jesus was resurrected. See, without the resurrection, and we know there would be nothing our faith would be meaningless because that would have meant it wasn't accepted by God, but it was because the creator of the universe disrobed himself from all power and authority and stepped down and humbled himself and took on the body of a man for all eternity. Okay, and, and don't misunderstand. He wasn't just a man for 33 years. He's a man forever. So the Jesus who spoke it all into existence became a man for all eternity for you and I. And if you're watching this online, for you to get saved. And that's why in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we look for a man who's worthy to take the scroll. And it has to be Jesus, the only man who is worthy to come forward and take that scroll. And so if you don't know him, you need to get to know him because you're going to know him one way or the other. And I would just recommend you get to know him now while you have time to get to know him. <laughs> you want to be born twice so that you only die once. If you're only born once, you're going to die twice. And, the, and we're going to learn about that in Revelation 20 through 22, about the second death. 
The second death is for those that do not know Jesus. And so if you're watching this and you don't know him, I am imploring you and begging you to please give him a chance and to get on your knees and challenge him to show up and watch the creator of the universe walk in that room and meet you in a place and strip away any addiction, any idolatry, any heartache, any pain, any shame. You just go down the list. You think that's your story, but he's got a different story for you. And he just turns it all upside down. And so with that, I'll just close us in prayer. And if you need anything, please reach out to us. Email us, call us, come up here, anything. Lord, we just thank you so much again for this time. We thank you again for the promises we have in and through the book of Revelation and the fact that, Jesus, you conquered it all for us today. You conquered every bit of it. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would make a, a fresh anointing move across this land from east to west, God, as we are literally the last place on earth that people have an ounce of freedom to come into your church and to openly praise and worship you. And even that is starting to become questioned in our nation. Lord, we need revival. We need you to step down in this land and to have an anointing, an outpouring of revival like never before. We need a fresh fire as we sing here in this church a lot. So Jesus, we just thank you again for the depth of your word. We thank you that you have hidden truths in your word and you delight in us sitting and searching them out to draw closer to you, the author and finisher of our faith. So Lord, be with all of these families here today. Be with those that couldn't be here that are out with sick children that are out traveling, that are off doing things with their extended family. Lord, we just pray a special blessing upon all of them that you would reunite them under this roof to further strengthen this body. Lord, we are your remnant. We are here looking and waiting for your call. So lead us in all truth and discernment, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.